Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I did go to my local library, plug local public libraries, and checked out Carol Channing's memoir of sorts called Just Lucky, I Guess. Now, I don't have a great Carol Channing impression. Oh, my God. I mean, you can't. How can you not have a good Carol Channing? Of course, they're going to say that I don't sound like Carol Channing at all. So you can edit this out. I love that in order to do a Carol Channing, you have to speak lower than your voice you do, naturally goes. you sort of goes. have to lean forward. You just have to do it with your hands. And you just, it, it just is. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the emotional and cultural impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. And little Jeffrey is very excited because today we're talking about Hello, Dolly. And to discuss that glorious show is my dear friend and patron saint of musical theater. Oh, my God. Not dead yet. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, Close. Uh, uh, (laughs) Mr. Michael Betts. Michael, we met... In 2008, right? I don't even remember when I'm, we met. I'm thinking it was 2008 because I moved to California in 2007. Okay. And then for a long time, you ran the Reiner Reading Series, which gave all of us in Southern California the great opportunity to either be in or see shows that we would never get to do or Thanks. see. I feel like I emailed you when you announced you were doing Anyone Can Whistle, and I was like, I'll be a cookie in the cookie jar. I don't care what it is. Just let me be in this show. The closing of our first season, and I was just saying yesterday, it was the first time that we sort of knew what the series could be because it was a rock concert. We had no idea. Cynthia Ferrer finished Me in My Town, and Mm -hmm. the audience literally went nuts. And it was like, what is going on? We had no idea. Yeah, That's so cool. And then they got to the book scenes and would go... What's what going on? What is this? And then another number would happen, and the audience would scream, and then we'd go back to a book scene, and they'd be like, <laughs> what is going on? So, yeah. And that is Anyone Can Whistle. Mm. So thank you. Thank you for all of your work to you, make sir. all of that happen. I love musicals, I think, as much as you do. And when you say Little Jeffrey, oh, Little Michael's like, this is, is life-giving to coming here, <laughs> coming here and doing, especially this show. What, what was your first exposure to Hello, Dolly? You know what? I honestly have no idea. I think my first exposure to Dolly might have been doing it at Long Beach Civic Light Opera a million and a half years ago uh, in 1991 with uh, Nell Carter and Nipsey Russell. Hold on. I'm sorry. I just need to... It's a good thing I'm sitting down. So Nell Carter... Nell Carter. 
was freaking Dolly. She was Gallico Dolly Levi. Levi. And it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. I literally like had to stop and I feel like in preparation for this episode, I've gone through every YouTube clip associated with Hello Dolly and somehow I never came across oh, that. It's it's not the whole show. Yeah. But it's Nell doing before the parade passes by oh. and doing Dolly. And it's like Oh my gosh. It's, it's everything. She was perfection. Okay, I saw I saw Nell Carter and Annie in the Annie revival. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> but then you also saw but she Sutton was fantastic. Foster. Yeah. Oh, no, you're exactly right. Sutton Foster was Star to Be. Was Star to Be. This and is going to be like, one of those podcasts that just goes on and on and mm-hmm. on because we're just going to free associate. Yeah. And, yeah. and then later on, I kind of edit something together that is under two hours. When you, <laughs> when you, can, when you can get a break and the like, I do some of the video work for work and I'm like, can you all please take a breath because I can't edit if there's no. And so far, I don't think there's been a pause or a breath Not really. in this entire conversation. That's okay. <laughs> so we're rewinding to, you know, pre-1964, which is when Hello, Dolly is coming to be. Now, at that point, musicals in the 60s composers were discovered off Broadway but ideas weren't really discovered off Broadway whereas nowadays we think of kind of the more cutting edge stuff as off Broadway and then it transfers to Broadway but Jerry Herman was doing his review parade Mm -hmm. which was where not to be confused with the Jason Robert Brown parade this was a lot more sunny and it was literally a review Uh, and David Merrick discovered him and had him pitch for for Dolly. Dolly. But right before, right out of Parade, he wrote Milk and Honey, right? Didn't he do the score for Milk and Honey I at be- that point? I believe you're correct. And the Jerry Herman autobiography is sitting is, right next to us just case. for fact checking. <laughs> <laughs> so Milk and Honey was a, a show that took place in Israel, and, mm-hmm. and the producers of that flew him because he was and has always been composer and lyricist, music and lyrics, flew him to Israel. He created a great score for Milk and Honey, got nominated for a Tony Award that year. David Merrick hears his score and decides that he might be a good fit for the musical version of Thornton Wilder's The Matchmaker, which he's putting together. So uh, David Merrick, titan of Broadway, huge personality in terms of uh, old-school producing musicals. Ken Mandelbaum wrote a biography on him called The Abominable Showman, excuse me. And everybody knew exactly who it was Mm -hmm. just from the title. Mm -hmm. So he... Uh, he's pretty legendary in both temper and, I guess, get, just getting things done. But so, brilliant. But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. From what I remember Jerry Herman saying, David Merrick was a little concerned that he wasn't, quote-unquote, American enough to write the score of Hello, Dolly, because he had just written Milk and Honey and had this obviously very Jewish, I guess, reference in terms of his musical writing. So he had Jerry Herman write four songs as a pitch, right, as an audition to write this show. And so he went and did it in a weekend, I think three of which are still in the show, and he got essentially the job. At this point... But there was still concern all along the way, like Merrick sort of never let up, and it's something Jerry talks about in his autobiography, that Merrick never let up on him not being the right... Sure. Fit all the way through the process. Now, at this point, we have Michael Stewart, who has already written the book. Mm-hmm. Jerry Herman, who's now you know on the team as composer lyricist. You got Gower Champion as director choreographer, and you have Carol Channing as the star. Well, not 
a Merman, a Merman was originally who Merrick and uh, Herman wanted. It was first Merman, and then it was Mary Martin, and both of them turned both it down? Both of them passed, yes. And then, according to Carol Channing's biography, he saw her in a play and then said, <laughs> this is according to her. <laughs> <laughs> we love her. That he is, that he was going to create a show for her. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it ended up being... It ended up being Hello, Dolly. Now, Hello, Dolly was originally titled Dolly, colon, A Damn, a damn exasperating, exasperating Woman, mm-hmm. which I don't know how that title didn't survive. I'm sure, and I'm sure they tried to replace the colon with an exclamation point at some point. You know, <laughs> this is, that was very big in the 60s. No, this very is, this is a very 60s. good point. Hello, Oliver, Dolly. Donnie Brook. Uh, Hello, Dolly. Oklahoma. Exclamation points. Yeah. Well, Hello, 40s. But, sure. Yeah. Hello, Dolly, though, is one of the shows I think that deserves the exclamation point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, Oliver, why does Oliver get an, Oliver should, like, have an, no, I, an ellipses. Carnival had one. Carnival did, Carnival too. had one, but it was taken away because uh, Gower Champion did not feel like that, that told the story of the show. The exclamation point too, made it too much of a big, splashy musical. And sure. It was, yeah. it was a little softer. Mm-hmm. Needed a, a dash. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe the first act needs a question mark. I don't know. <laughs> I, can't, I can't with you. Um, Carol Channing. Can you Golden do, Globe winner. I mean, Golden, Golden Globe, Globe winner, winner for one of my favorite movies of Academy all time. Academy Award nominee. nominee. Yeah. Uh, for Thoroughly Modern Millie. Now, can you give just kind of a brief intro as to who Carol is? I mean, mean pre-Hello, Dolly. Pre-Hello, Dolly, Carol was famous for playing Lorelai Lee in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, another show that she wasn't necessarily wanted for. Um, She had to prove herself to win that role, and she became known and synonymous with that character and that role until Dolly came along. That's what she did. For those who might not know, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is famous for the song... Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Currently being sung in Moulin Rouge on Broadway. So uh, just remember, before Satine sang that song, it was Carol Channing. And before Marilyn Monroe sang that song, it was, lots of people think it's a Marilyn song, and it is absolutely a Carol Channing song. But she understood the satire. That's where she she did a review called Lend an Ear. She was known for her satiric uh, uh, performances, for her impressions. She did everybody from Carmen Miranda to Marlena Dietrich. Like Shalula Bankhead. She did those. That's what she was she was famous for. And she was also famous for being a personality. It's when Broadway shows starred personalities and right. people who were very different and not sort of homogenous as they are as they are today. You had these variety shows on television mm-hmm. and you wanted people who were I mean strange to say mm-hmm. the least, right? But individuals who People loved to love, and Carol Channing was absolutely one of those people. And Carol was also maverick. She and her husband Charles Lowe, or her or her former husband Charles Lowe, uh, she crafted. Her campaigns were amazing. She had three by five cards that she would write things down on uh, information about the people who were interviewing her and the towns and things. So when she came back through. Uh, on a tour, she would be able to ask them personal questions like, how is this person in your life? How is So she knew how to cultivate those relationships so beautifully. Right. And she learned from uh, the Lunts 
that, uh, as they said and she said, you have to tour the provinces. To be known at that time, you took a show on tour. It mm-hmm. wasn't that Patti Lapone does Gypsy in New York and New York is the only place to see it. Carol Channing took Gentlemen Prefer Blondes out on the road, took Dolly out on the road a thousand times. Yeah. Um, but she got to know the people and the people got to know her and that's how she became famous. That's an incredible work ethic. Can I tell you my exposure to Carol and Hello Dolly? Because they didn't happen at the same time. I find that to be problematic, (laughs) is what I should say. I first saw Hello Dolly as the movie version. I know. And I loved it. This is true. I was young. I was young. Forgive me. He's still young, everybody. (laughs) But this was back in the day when the Disney Channel in the evening had programming for grown-ups. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm, I do. So, like, during the day, it would be 90s party fonts, and then you'd hit 7 o'clock, and everything would change to, like, this golden elegant hue and you, they would have programming for uh, for older people and that's how I saw the Gloria Stefan concert coming home that's how I saw the ghost and Mrs. Muir um, and that's how I saw Hello Dolly and when I saw that Hello Dolly was going to be on I remember I, I wanted to record it so I got out a VCR tape I put it in my VCR a VCR tape a VHS tape Put it, in, put it into the VCR. Ooh, there's so many technological terms back then that I don't use anymore. Uh, and and I recorded it. I got done, took it out, put a big old piece of masking tape on it, and I wrote "Hello Dolly!" exclamation point, comma. <laughs> Hello, comma Dolly! exclamation point. Don't forget the comma. Absolutely. Do not record over parentheses dad this means you because my dad was very into recording nascar races and he would just grab any old vhs tape and i had a lot of episodes of the new mickey mouse club that had been recorded over because of those races so britney I, spears britney spears I, this was pre-britney it was like late 80s wow so Hello, Dolly was preserved because of that piece of masking tape, much to the chagrin of my family, I'm sure, because I watched that thing all the time. There was one summer, I think I watched it every single day, and if in a BuzzFeed sort of way you asked my family, like, which Pixar character I am, they'd most definitely say Wally because I watched the film version of Hello, Dolly incessantly. So I thought Dolly Gallagher Levi was Barbra Streisand in terms of type and performance. That is how I understood and I just have to interject this. Before the parade passes by, mm-hmm. sung by Barbara Streisand, the parade is already gone and six miles away before she finishes singing the word parade. Like, I can't. I just can't. And the thing, you're going to leap across and grab me by the throat and go, how could you? I am on this show telling you that other than clips, I have never seen the movie from beginning to end. Really? I don't like Barbara and Michael Crawford's He's Intonation. Doing a, he's doing a really weird voice. I just can't. I can't. I can't. Walter Matthau is in it as well, and he and Barbara have like zero chemistry. The rumor is they hated each other. Yeah. Well, she's playing it like Barbara meets Mae West. Yes. But there's a lot of comedy that's still really great. Gene Kelly directed it, so you've got an, a lot of interesting interpretations of well, what he huge. sees as Gower Champions. It's champion. huge and it's epic and I go back to uh, the actor Lance Roberts uh, put this beautiful post up when the haters were hating on Carrie Underwood in, um, Sound, in of Sound of Music Live yeah. and he said hey people 
I loved Hello Dolly when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Loved it, loved it, loved it. It wasn't until college that someone told him it was bad, and then he looked at it again and went, oh, yeah, it's a terrible movie. Who cares? What we fall in love with is kids that bring us to being able to record a show with Jeffrey Scott Parsons. <laughs> Who cares? I but I really no. did. I, I did love it, and this is the, thing, the this is proving your point. I loved it so much that when the Carol Channing revival tour came through Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. In like the early '90s, my grandparents got tickets for themselves and for me. That's how well known it was that I loved Hello Dolly. It was my grandparents, who are farmers, were like, "Well, you know, it's coming through down in Salt Lake. Let's let's all go." And I was like, "Great, who's playing Dolly? Because Barbara has some big shoes to fill." And it was Carol Channing, and I. You're like who? No. My first thought was, the crazy raspberries lady from Thoroughly Modern Millie is playing Dolly. How is that going to work? And and how it worked, if seeing Dolly in a theater, because I had only done Hello, Dolly before. I had never seen the show Mm -hmm. until I saw Carol Channing do the tour. Mm -hmm. Um, It was life-changing. For me, too. Every word was funny. With Carol, but but I mean literally every word was funny. It, it's what you can do when you have thirty years with a role. With a role, but there wasn't a, a beat that wasn't filled. There wasn't air to the show. There was so much heart. I was talking. I, I teach on Thursday afternoons, and I was talking to my kids about. Uh, roller coaster shows, roller coaster mm-hmm. moments that I love. The lap bar comes down and you're suddenly taken somewhere emotionally that you didn't expect to. Sure. And she is so funny and so fun and so the show is moving forward and forward and forward and she comes out on the passerelle before the first act ends and says, let me go, Ephraim. Mm-hmm. And the audience just... It's this beautiful, sparkly, emotional moment that you didn't think you were going to get from this woman or this show. And it plays different than anyone else I've ever seen it play with because she is so funny that that moment just the lap bar comes down and you're like, oh, we're going on a ride now. That's really beautiful and exactly how I felt because, once again, I was walked into it being, you know, thinking I knew everything at the age of 11 and not expecting her to win me over and she instantly did and to this day I think it's it's burned in my memory as what comedy in musical theater looks and feels like mm-hmm. like it was just a master but, class from beginning to but end but comedy with an emotional bottom well, but that's, because when we get to talking about the revival I have very 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 strong opinions on the revival Well, and, and I think that that is what real comedy is then is that it's not just about bits and it's not just a, it's it's the it's the cleanliness, you know, of Carol because there were there were moments where I was like, oh, it's funny because she's not doing anything. And, and you think of Carol Channing as being this wild per, and she just stand, she would just she would stand, stand her and ground. Stuff would just happen around her. Now I had heard that part of that was because of her age, yeah. and I also there were enough people who had seen it originally who said like she was or had worked on it originally who said she was not a shadow of what she could do mm-hmm. before, but not. It wasn't what it was before, but I didn't know it. And, and twenty. I also remember at the very end of the show, she addressed the audience and would always, and you could tell that she had done this a, a gajillion times before. And someone probably hello Cerritos, right? Like exactly, that. exactly. Yeah, truly. Like right before, I'm sure they reminded her where she was mm-hmm. and everything. But people ate it up, and we had just 
uh, been told that we were going to be hosting the Olympics, the Winter Olympics. And so she had found that out and included it in the speech, and people went insane because she had personalized the show just for them. But she knew she was a brand, and yeah. she had to do that as her brand. I, I will say the other thing the 94 tour did for me um, was I had heard, heard the cast album, the original cast album, and they were albums at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been on disc, but I think I had the LP. Um, and I had done it uh, twice at that point. Um, but I didn't get ribbons down my back. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And then Florence Lacey came out, stood without moving a muscle, and belted the crap out of that song. And he went, oh, of course. Irene Malloy is this really strong woman in this time that that wasn't necessarily accepted. She's and, an entrepreneur. And so she belted ribbons down my back, and he went, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Cool. That's what it should be. Um, but it's this beautiful story about these really, really strong women. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that the show's not done as often as it should be in this time period that we need those strong women on stage. And it's not a strong woman like a Mama Rose who has a dark side. Dolly's just trying to make everybody, she's trying to make everyone's story work. Mm-hmm. Okay, when I was younger, <clears throat> excuse me. Which was yesterday. No. When I was little. <laughs> Which was yesterday. <laughs> when I was a young lad, my uh, my dad would have us go caroling to the widows in town during Christmas. So as a family, we would get plates of cookies together. Dressed and up as Carol Channing. Dress up, yeah, exactly. Does when I say caroling, caroling, you mean like. I mean, we put on the white wig yeah. and dance like a Muppet. <laughs> no. We. <laughs> We sang Christmas carols. My brother, my older brother, would accompany us on the guitar, and we'd give them a plate of cookies. Now, that was my understanding of who widows were. So they were these elderly women who didn't have anybody in their lives and were kind of waiting for us to come and sing to them and bring them plates of cookies. They were always really sweet, wonderful ladies, and they were always very grateful to have us. But what I forget is that Dolly Levi, who's kind of the antithesis of that type of person, is also a widow. And I love... It's as, a show about widows at end of day. Yeah, as, a, as, a, as someone who grew up with a mom who became a widow very, very young, I think that Hello, Dolly! is an incredible tool for not only women, but for us as a society to remember that, like, crap happens in life and that we are not all just one thing. We are when we are widows, we're not just, you know, white-haired ladies waiting for Christmas carols. We are we are people who are trying to figure out what's next and how to live. And in Dolly's case, she decides that she needs to rejoin the human race. That she she's been looking and taking care of everyone else. And in the meantime, letting the parade pass her by. And, and not only that, I mean, there's there's a few musical theater moments and there's a couple movie moments that always get me. Always, mm-hmm. always. Uh, the entire production of 1776 always gets me. Uh, uh, Captain Andy telling Magnolia to smile Noli in the oh. second actor show that always gets me. But Irene coming out and saying, 
Dolly says, Irene, why, Irene, you're crying. And she says, oh, Dolly, the world is full of wonderful things. This woman whose life she's trying to rebuild after the death of her husband, and she's trying to become a millinerist, a, a wicked woman. And she's doing all of these things, has sort of forgotten the joy in the world. And as Dolly has taught, has taught, as Dolly has taught Cornelius how to dance with Irene, and dancing happens after this joyous number, Irene realizes that there's joy and wonder in the world again. And Dolly, again, it goes to how beautifully this show is crafted. Mm -hmm. Because without Irene saying that, Dolly doesn't have before the parade passes by. It's a constant, this show is a constant volley and a constant tennis match. They're all just throwing each other little bits of things. Mm -hmm. And lots of that has to do with Thornton Wilder, Mm -hmm. because so much of Michael Stewart's book, Sorry Michael Stewart, is actually cut and paste Thornton Wilder from The Matchmaker. Now, let's start, because it's a a farce, explaining the plot can always go real crazy real real fast, but let's just do a brief once through. Are there people listening to this podcast who've never seen Hello, Dolly? Very possibly. (sighs) The way that I'm thinking of it we, you've got a podcast generation. Mm-hmm. I, I visited a classroom not too long ago and showed them that Gwen Stefani's Rich Girls was based on Fiddler on the Roofs, If I Were a Rich Man, mm-hmm. and they their minds melted. And I thought, wait, I just assumed everyone knew that. I had presented this information as though, like, and of course we all know. Da, 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 and da. I think we had this conversation very briefly after I, I was teaching on Thursday and got asked to sub the musical theater history class, because mm-hmm. believe it or not, I don't teach musical theater, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> if you know me, it's really amazing. Um, <laughs> but uh, I went in and we were talking about the 20s, and I was talking about Gershwin, and I watched their eyes glaze over, and I was like, crazy for you? My one and only, not realizing that as those titles fell out of my mouth, I was 20. These 16-year-olds that I'm teaching have no frame of reference for Gershwin. They just don't. Right. Yeah. So I'm... So you're right. Dolly. So so the plot of Dolly is essentially there's this woman, Dolly Gallagher, Gallagher who is a widow. She's lost her husband, Ephraim, and she is known as... A matchmaker of sorts, right? She also does lots of side hustles, <laughs> side gigs, but her main thing is helping people find their love. Um, and over the course of the first half of the first act, we are introduced to a lot of characters through her. There's Horace Vandegelder, who's a, a rich and famous <laughs> a citizen of Yonkers who owns a, a the hay, first citizen of Yonkers, a hay and feed store. He owns a hay and feed store. He's very successful. He has a, a clerk, chief, chief clerk. Thank you, uh, Cornelius Hackle, and then the assistant Barnaby Tucker. Horace's niece is named Ermengarde. She cries a lot. Stop sniveling. And she is in love with. A very tall artist na- in the movie <laughs> named Ambrose Kemper. Kemper. Mm-hmm. They want to get married, but because Horace is, um, you know, a rich guy, he doesn't want his niece marrying a poor artist. And more than a little bit of a curmudgeon. Fair enough. Dolly comes to help 
Ermengarde and Ambrose. And sort of with her sights set. We don't know that yet. But we but sort of with her sights set on Horace Vandergelt. Absolutely. The movie spells that out. The the show does not. Right. We get the feeling that mm-hmm. maybe she's interested in him. For his money. Sure. And very clearly. She, very clearly. You find out three quarters of the way through that she's going to marry Horace Vandergelt for her money, his money, and, and she comes else. right out and says it. Yeah. And... Also, she is going to help him meet someone in New York named Irene Malloy who owns a hat shop. Irene is also a widow, correct? Yep. And she has an assistant named Minnie Faye. Now. We sound like Minnie Faye's monologue. Right, seriously. Chairs and feathers, chairs and feathers. So, spoiler alert, this is how everybody fits together. Horace and Dolly end up together. Cornelius ends up with Irene Malloy. Barnaby ends up with Minnie Faye, so the assistants end up together. Ambrose and Ermagard end up together. And we all live happily ever after. Now, Because <laughs> it is a musical. Yeah. In 1964. In 1964. Between that, there's a lot of farce. There's a lot of mistaken identity. There's a lot of someone's not supposed to be there, but they are there because Cornelius and Barnaby should be back in Yonkers, but they've decided to go to New York to, to have an adventure. To have an adventure, once again, to live their best life, right? And that's essentially the plot of Hell. All with a gorgeously optimistic Jerry Herman score. Now, how the musical got crafted as beautifully as it did is a very interesting story because it didn't all just fall together. No, not In at fact, all. it had quite a bumpy ride. It's interesting in Carol Channing's book, she talks, that, she talks about how the first two weeks of the rehearsal process were just the Hello, Dolly number. It was Gower piecing together bit by bit this number. He had, at one point early on, he had the the men lift her up into the air. And so he taught, like, the steps and the lift and everything and then went back out into the house of the theater to watch it all happen. And they did it, and he said, stop, stop, stop. And he runs back up on stage and pulls Carol aside and says, uh, that is the first and last time Dolly will, Dolly's feet will ever leave the ground. This is a grounded woman. She does not get lifted in the air. But they spent two weeks working on the number, which I can't even imagine that kind of luxury to spend two weeks on one number. But after that point, that number never changed. The way that he said it after those two weeks. Everything else, however... Changed a lot. When they finally uh, went out of town, for some reason they decided, David Merrick decided to take them to Detroit to open the show, and they were in some real trouble, particularly in the first act. Mm -hmm. And so they brought in composers, because as you said, he was never totally satisfied with Jerry Herman. And there are various accounts of whether David Merrick was just trying to scare Jerry Herman into writing faster and writing better, or whether he was actually going to be not necessarily replaced, but they also did that at the time. A composer would come in and ghostwrite things. What is your favorite ghostwriting song? A song that people probably don't know was written by somebody else. My White Knight. Oh, I didn't know that. Who, my wrote, White who wrote My White Knight? Supposedly, Frank Lesser wrote My White Knight. Really? Yes. From Music Man. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And you just did that at the time. You did. Right. It. You didn't get any credit for it, and 
But if you listen to it, it's my white my my white knight is very much a Frank Lesser song. Like it's Frank. very much not a Meredith Wilson song. Interesting. So. I totally buy that. We're doing a Music Man episode, so Yay. now I have something to share. You do. Okay, so they brought a couple of composers, and they brought Bob Merrill. Speaking of Carnival! Exclamation point. Or was or it? No exclamation point. Yeah. <laughs> and then they also brought in Strauss and Lee, Charles Strauss, who had written um, Bye Bye Birdie and later wrote Annie with his lyricist partner at the time, Lee Adams. Oh, why, why did I call him Lee? <laughs> I don't know. Lorelai Lee. We're Lorelai Lee, Carol, exactly. Carol Channing. We're going to get mixed in. I actually really like Charles Strauss's story that he talks about going to Detroit. So David Merrick calls them and basically says, hey, we're having trouble with the first act. Would you mind coming and looking at it, possibly writing a few things, see if you can help doctor the show? They say, Charles Strauss says that he specifically said yes, but only with Jerry Herman's blessing. We will not come unless Jerry signs off on it. David Merrick calls back and says, absolutely, Jerry knows that this is happening. It's a go. So Lee Adams, Charles Strauss, go to Detroit. They walk into the hotel, and who's the first person they see but Jerry Herman, who immediately breaks out into a sweat and is like, am I fired? <laughs> what are you guys doing here? And they were really upset because they said, David Merrick told us that you knew about this, and he had no idea. And he said, do not. So they were trying to tell Jerry Herman, don't worry. We're just here to help in any way we can. We're going to go see the show. So they go see the show, and they take notes. According to Charles Strauss, their notes included some restructuring of the first act, bringing some of Thornton Wilder's original matchmaker back into the script, and then creating a moment for a song called Before the Parade Passes By, which they wrote. They wrote a song called Before the Parade Passes By. That's all of the work that they did, then they went and left. The show continues to go through changes. It closes in Detroit, moves to Washington, D.C. to open up again, and it opens up with a song at the end of the first act called Before the Parade Passes By. But it's not the one that Charles Strauss wrote. Jerry liked the title. Exactly. He took the title, but he wrote his own song. Sometimes when you're so close to a project, right, you can't see what needs to happen. And I think that's what makes musical theater one of the hardest Mm-hmm. art forms out there is because the collaboration is so vast and so intense And as why well. show doctors are, are, were and are. Tommy Toon got his start as a show doctor. Like, all of these people came in and would fix things because they would be able to have perspective. Right. So. Right, right. So it got terrible reviews in Detroit. Yeah. I don't know that I knew that. Yeah. But then it goes to Washington, it gets better, and then it goes to Broadway and becomes like a huge smash. And it also became a huge smash due to Merrick and his being so freaking smart. I mean, it was a parade of try and think of any other title that the replacement cast, the replacement cast, the tour cast, the overseas cast were so starry. Right. Well, let's talk about the, the original cast. Right. Because, okay, so you had Carol. Yeah. Oh. And you had Mrs. Peacock. Well, and that's what I was going to say. So the original Irene Malloy was Eileen Brennan, which to my generation is the iconic Mrs. Peacock from Clue. Go figure. And Private Benjamin. You have Cornelius Hackle played by Charles Nelson Reilly, mm-hmm. who was kind of like Carol in terms of yeah, being... Well, a, all of them were. I yeah. mean, I assume that Eileen Brennan, all we have is the recording of her singing Ribbons Down My Back, and it's very ingenue soprano. Yeah. We can only imagine with someone like Eileen Brennan that that's not That she was just as got. ballsy as yeah. everything, every other performance yeah. she ever gave. No, comedy titans 
And of Seriously, course, comedy titans. And of course, our um, L.A. favorite, Mary Jo Catlett. Oh, my God. Mary Jo Catlett. And who, like, yeah, Mary Jo Catlett is one of the most amazing human beings on the face of the earth. Mary Jo played Ernestine the Simple. All right, we are going to press pause on my conversation with Michael about Hello, Dolly, because as I got listening to our conversation and us talking about the legendary Mary Jo Catlett, I thought, you know, why don't I just reach out to her and see if she might record a little something for the podcast? And because she is amazing, she said yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, Mary Jo Catlett is here with me. Hi, Jeffrey. It's so nice to be here. I'm so tickled that you said yes and we're willing to do this. Thank you so much. Well, I'm just thrilled to be here. (laughs) What actor doesn't want to talk about themselves? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if there is anybody out there who doesn't know who Mary Jo is, please go to IMDb and put in her name, Mary Jo Catlett, and you can see uh, what a legend she is. But I'm not going to sit here and make her listen to me talk about her resume. Instead, we're just going to jump right in to our, a little talk about Hello, Dolly, because you're an original cast member. I'm an original cast member. So what was going on in your career when Hello, Dolly entered it? I was doing children's theater. I had been in New York about eight months. Okay. And uh, I was 23. And I was... Uh, so excited about possibly here's what happened I had five auditions so my fourth audition for Dolly I thought I think they're interested you know (laughs) maybe maybe but then when I went to the audition Gower Champion was up there and he would he would say he would point to different girls who were sitting there and he'd say okay would you get up now and do a little dance and sing a little song and they'd do it and he didn't ask me to do anything I just sat there and I and I started to really feel out of place because they were tall, willowy, or or short, gorgeous dancers. You know, sure. they were not my type. I'm um, a softic woman. <laughs> Character actress. <laughs> and so pretty soon, I think he had such great sensitivity. He stepped behind the girls that were there and looked at me, and he said, don't worry, we have something special in mind for you. Oh, did that just make your heart sing? It did. I thought, <laughs> holy crow, I'm going to be on Broadway. Finally, a dream come true. Oh, you know? my gosh. And, of course, Jerry Herman wasn't a household name at that point, but certainly Gower Champion and David Merrick were big-time you know, Broadway personalities. That's so, right. So, like, that had to be... Just so exciting. It's true, and I had seen, I had loved the movie Showboat with oh. Ava Gardner and Catherine Grace and Howard Keel and yes. Gower and Marge and Champion. March, yeah. So I was starstruck, rather, you know, oh. too, about him. He was so handsome <laughs> and so nice. Oh, my goodness. All the pictures I see of him, he always looked very, like, with the sweater tied around his shoulders and, like, he was about to go play tennis at any moment. Yes, very preppy put together. He that, was. That's so cool. I kind of mentioned on the episode that I recorded with Michael who your character is or was. What Could you describe her, though? Sure. It's funny because people say, oh, you played Ermengarde. Well, (laughs) Ermengarde was my best friend in the whole cast, Alice Platon. We were very good friends. Anyway, Alice was about 
four foot nine when she was really little and really petite, oh and she played the niece Ermengarde. But my na- my character's name is Ernestina, so it was a little similar. So sure. You, and I'd say, no, Not I wasn't Ermengarde. <laughs> <laughs> and Ernestina was this young lady that. Uh, that Dolly Levi fixed Horace Vandergilder up with. She wanted him to like her, Dolly. He, yeah. She wanted him to like her. But she, she would describe Miss Miss Money, Ernestina Money, and that's all <laughs> Vandergilder had to hear. Oh, yes, yes, I want to meet Sign her. Sign me up. You know, and she'll she'll come on with a little yellow dress with baby, with baby pink roses, <laughs> and she's just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't do a carol. I'm like, I feel like I'm the only musical theater nerd who can't, who doesn't have a very decent Carol Channing impression. So. Oh, I think everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> little Scott. Oh, little Scott. Hello. Oh, little Mary Jo. Come and meet little Scott. <laughs> she oh was great. God. I loved oh her so. Gosh. She and Alice and I had a slumber party one night. We had so much fun. You're kidding me. Put up our hair and Talked, talked about boys, and oh I mean it was gosh. great. Chewed gum. She liked to chew gum at the time. Later really? on, she, I guess, you know, she would develop these allergies, whether they really were or whether somebody said don't do that anymore. But uh, she was a wonderful person. Oh my gosh, mm. that's so cool! A slumber party with Carol it Channing. was. It was great. I'd put that on my gravestone. <laughs> And one of my best, my favorite stories of Carol with uh, Charles Lowe was her husband, oh. and um, he he was all for Carol's career, mm-hmm. and he was a terrific guy, but but funny and kind of light, and so the chorus boys said, "Have you ever had sex with Carol?" <laughs> <laughs> And he said, would it help her career? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It was fun. They're self-aware enough to know what what they're putting out into the world. Yes, that self-deprecation is so funny. It's so good. Um, Okay, so uh, you rehearse the show in New York, and then you take it out of town. And from what I understand, Detroit was not... Easy. It oh little, my goodness! It was a little oh, rough. Detroit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Fisher Theater in Detroit. It was almost brand new then. A beautiful theater, but they said be sure to ha- walk with somebody if you walk to your hotel. Oh really? It was well. Not it was kind of great... unusual to take a show out of town to Detroit. It was. You know, it, wasn't, it was. It wasn't the usual. I wonder what that was. Now that you say that, maybe Mr. Merrick had some connection there. I maybe. don't know. That makes sense. That would make sense. Or maybe he thought the critics would be kind because they'd been kind to other things. Well, they were not kind to one other thing. There was a show that went through there called Bravo Giovanni. Oh, do you yeah, remember that, that that's show? That's like a famous flop, oh, you're isn't it? Good. I yes. <laughs> that and dude. I mean, really <laughs> big flops. Big, big, big flops. And um, but it opened on Broadway and closed. And the the first line of our review after our opening night in Detroit was, not since Bravo Giovanni oh. Oh, no. <laughs> has there been such a losing, you know, it just, oh, it and was it went down from there. <laughs> and Merrick, Mr. Merrick wanted to cut, uh, close the show. Well, I mean, that that's one of the worst omens you could have received. Isn't it? And yet, 
couldn't be more wrong in terms of the legend it became. Of what you saw, yeah. yeah. I guess it had a lot of work. I thought it was wonderful. Of course, everything was wonderful then. I was going to be on Broadway. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, was your uh, your track or your, your role in the show, did you have it pretty easy? Because most of Ernestina's stuff is in the second act. It is, except that they put her into the chorus in the first. Oh, okay. In, in one of my favorite little walk-on things that I had playing Brunhilde in the parade. Oh! And, and today I saw Dolly on Broadway uh, with Bet Midler, and it was it was quite good. But they now have three Brunhildes in the parade. Oh, and you're like, come on! I would have hated that. <laughs> this is my standout. Yes, guys. come on. <laughs> um, what were the biggest changes that you remember from? Detroit, too, because then you went to Washington after that, yeah? In Detroit, they had four ladies who they called the biddies, who were probably a little similar to pick a little, talk a little, you know, music, uh, who would do crossovers and who would comment to Dolly. And uh, they were sort of the Greek chorus, these four biddies who'd go across. And one of the first things Goward did was to cut the biddies. Wow. Uh, a stage manager later told me that Merrick said, well, then you have to fire the Catlett girl. <gasps> oh, and he said, no. why? And he said, well, she's part of the biddies and she works fine, but she's a large character lady. You, she won't work in the, like, Sunday clothes chorus. She would today. Yeah, seriously. But anyway, then, no, you couldn't have any extra body fat there. <laughs> I, I roll. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, thank I'm, you. I'm glad the, the Gower Well, Gower said, well, don't, I won't let her go yet <laughs> in Detroit. So they kept the parade and they kept me in it. And then uh, I was in the chorus. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we must have had a run through in New York. And this woman who played Ernestina was named Gloria Leroy. Do you know that name no, at all? No, I don't. She was, uh, had been a stripper. Oh. She was rather gorgeous in an older kind of way. Sure. So the way that they made her look un- unattractive to Vandergilder was to make her like cheap and blousy oh. and hey, why don't, you know. Yeah. And so... Gower decided she was not right for the part, and that was hard because she was a very nice lady. Anyway, then he opened casting to agents and people, and I remember I was was outside sitting on the steps reading the little part of the script that we had, and um, because Gower had asked Lucia Victor, our stage manager, if I could—he said, I want her to audition— and, uh, of course, I was thrilled. Sure. And I was on the steps with Renee Taylor. She was up oh, for it, too. Wow. And she said, oh, you're perfect for this. <laughs> <laughs> she was so nice oh. to me. I, I, I'm not, you know, not used to, at that time, actresses being that giving. Oh, she was really sweet. Kind of generous. For those who yeah. might not know Renee Taylor, uh, Fran Drescher's mom on The Nanny. Kind of, and also, right. a, 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 she's just been around in the theater for a long time. Funny lady, funny, funny lady. Mm-hmm. How cute! So then you, so then you read so it. So then I read it, and um, 
got the part, and uh, it was really a thrill. Oh. And I knew nothing about money or billing. That's the, oh. that's the saddest part, that my name isn't on the album, and oh. it is now. All, the Ernestina is always included in the oh, principles. So, you know, they didn't want to give you <laughs> that, that anything is... more than, like, I think I got it. Ten or twenty dollar raise. Oh wow! For that, for the that huge step out. Yeah. So I feel like we all have that yes. moment where we're like, oh yeah, this is a business. Exactly. I guess maybe I should get someone to help me look out after that. Look after yes. that. Yes. <laughs> but me. but then it was great because Charles Nelson Riley produced a show. This is after Dolly Open uh, called Talent Sixty Five. Okay. And uh, everybody sort of did their specialty and. He asked me to be in it, and they invited agents. So what I was doing, they seemed to like, and I got a lot of commercials after that. Oh, wow. So it didn't really—that was okay that I wasn't being paid much for Dolly. That was just pure love. (laughs) Wow. Well, that is like a labor of love. Yes, exactly. When I think about—because you mentioned Charles Nelson Reilly— I think about Hello Dolly, and I think about how many, like, legendary comedians were part of that show. Amazing, huge, yes. Like, huge comedic talents and personalities. And what was, like, because you got Eileen Brennan and Davey Carol. Davey Burns. And, like, oh, so, big uh, baggy but, pants comic type. Yeah, yeah. Funny, funny, wonderful man. And I, Gordon Connell was Jane Connell's husband, and he was so funny. He was so great in it. He played the judge in just a little oh, part right, and just right. was wonderful. And did everybody get along? <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I, I mean, I can't imagine that with all of those personalities that there wasn't a little bit, but but it seems like you still had a wonderful time regardless. Yeah, there was there was um, a problem with Sandra Lee and Eileen Brennan, oh, really? who played Minnie, Minnie Faye, Faye and Mrs. Malloy. Yeah. Oh, that's too oh, bad. One time, Eileen almost, Sandra was tiny, you know, mm-hmm. she was this little fly of a wonderful dancing acting, singing. Sure. No, she didn't sing really, but she was really so talented. Where they were on the edge of the stage, and Eileen nearly pushed her off the stage <laughs> into the pit. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Just enough, I guess, to threaten her, saying, look what I could do. <laughs> Don't cross me. <laughs> and when this show opened, they shared a dressing room. A few months into it, they demanded to have That's separate uh, a big barrier put in and new and separate doors. Oh so they heavens. had two tiny dressing rooms, which are still there. Really? When I went back, I thought, oh, they're still there. What theater were you guys in? in St. James. Oh, at the St. James. Yeah. So when did you know that it was going to be a hit? Because that it wasn't going to be Bravo Giovanni. <laughs> <laughs> when we went to Washington, yeah, Richard Coe, this. Um, wonderful critic. He'd be wonderful even if he didn't like us. He was great. Uh, he just gave great accolades. And the show was greatly changed by then. Mm-hmm. Oh, and when I meant to say when um, Mr. Merrick wanted to close the show, Gower offered to buy him out. Really? And, and because, because of that, he thought, he thought, well, I guess I'll stay in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty good decision. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Because I think of how many, 
because then you went on tour, right? Did you go I on did tour later, with Ginger yes, Rogers? I did. And Dorothy Lamour and Martha Ray. Oh, no, Martha Ray was in New York. I did it in New York with Martha Ray and Ginger Rogers, yes. Ginger oh. Rogers was great. Really? <gasps> she was a lovely person. I saw I saw a clip of her doing Before the Parade on um, The Ed Sullivan Show. Uh-huh. And she was fantastic. Wasn't she? Yeah. I in her I, own way. She wasn't Dolly. Right. There was only one Dolly, yeah. I think. Yeah. But she, just like Ethel Merman was wonderful. They, Pearl Bailey was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And and a little of themselves in everything. Yes, yeah. yes. But Ginger was great. Oh, and cool. and her solo on Deary, of course, she did a tap. Oh, and oh did she, really? Yes. They added tap for her solo? They added a tap. Oh. oh, it was great. Oh, my gosh. I would have eaten that She's, up. <laughs> and she had to be near 60 by then, but she was really? in great shape. Just wonderful. Okay. <clears throat> The I I talked about this in the episode, but I grew up on the movie. Like that's how I got to know oh. Hello Dolly. And the Carol Channing tour in the '90s was coming through Salt Lake City, and my grandparents, knowing how much I loved Hello Dolly, got me tickets to go with them to to you know down to the big city to see Hello Dolly. And I was like, all right, well, who's playing Barbara's role? <laughs> <laughs> and it was Carol Channing, and I couldn't believe it. And I mean, of course, changed my life in terms of just seeing this performance, this iconic performance. But the thing that really cemented my understanding of what the comedy on stage could be was that eating scene. <gasps> and for Wasn't it? She, and, oh, the best. And uh, for those who don't know, maybe because you've only seen the movie, but on this, in the stage version, everybody, uh, because of all of the chaos in Harmonia Gardens, ends up going to court. And the judge wants to talk to this Dolly Levi, who seems to be the through line for all of the chaos. Meanwhile, she's still back at the restaurant eating. Yes. And there's this great little Double device up. where she realizes, oh, I got to finish my food because the girl can eat and so she just starts eating everything as fast as she can and at this one point starts grabbing these little potato puff things and shoving them in her mouth as fast as she can and the audience just went nuts and I had never seen anything like that wasn't it fabulous the way she did it oh just so clean fabulous and were were you on stage to see that like were were you in the in the um, in the docket yes yeah and I can only imagine that it was really consistent every night with the oh, audience kind of going nuts. Just wonderful. Just right on the money. She was, her timing was delicious. Yeah. And and they they were supposed to be dumplings. Yeah. So they were this sort of a beige color. Okay. So originally they used cotton candy. Oh, really? And uh, it worked beautifully because, you know, it just would melt and disappear. Uh-huh. And the audience didn't know it, but they thought, how does she do that? <laughs> just put all those in her mouth. Well, pretty soon she got, uh, which was legitimate, a real sugar problem. Oh, from eating you know, all for, the cotton and candy. Two, two shows on <laughs> Saturday, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so they had to devise something else. So this brilliant... Um, prop guy, David, can't remember David's last name right now, but he was great. Anyway, he took Kleenex and and he, he put it over a light bulb and sprayed tea on it. So the tea color would be the color of dumplings and he'd take it off, it'd be dry, take it off gently, put it on the plate and it was even better because it would really disappear. <laughs> Right. And then pretty soon she'd find time to use the napkin and, and get rid of it. But it 
it worked wonderfully. Those were napkins? Yes, those are like little Kleenexes. Little tissues. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Theater magic. Isn't it funny? Wow, how oh, cool. Yeah. In terms of the legacy of Hello Dolly, what, and because I know that you're proud to have been a part of it, what, how do you see it? in terms of, you know, our Broadway history, our musical theater history. What do you think it gave us? Oh, gosh, I think it it was rich in the texture of the show. It was so beautiful to watch. That's what people would say more than anything, how it was like watching a Valentine. It was just so beautiful. Gower had such an eye for beauty of every number. I, I wonder in terms of big, beautiful American musicals, I wonder if Hello, Dolly! is about as good as it gets. I think so, since maybe the time of Florence Ziegfeld way back when, sure. when it was dazzling. And, well, Follies. We have to factor oh, right. Follies into yeah, that. Yeah, sure. The original. Yeah. Oh. Just like eye popping, the yeah the the eye candy and but then also I think what Dolly has going for it is this heart and joy, you know, because we forget that it's a a story about a widow, exactly, and how how wonderful that this big colorful musical is all about this woman kind of in a at a point in her life realizing that she needs to join the human race again. Right. Thornton Wilder. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful writer. Yes. I love it. I'm so grateful you came to talk to me. I'm so glad to be here. It was great fun. (laughs) I hate that we're done. I know, right? It went by so so quickly. Um, Yes, I adore you. Thank you for all that you've given us, and thanks for being here today. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye now. Well, let's go ahead and talk Pearl Bailey because... Oh, everything. 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 But but it actually, if I'm not mistaken, it actually closed, and the tour went out with Pearl Bailey, and then it ended up, the Bailey tour ended up on Broadway. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was 68. If you look up on YouTube... 1968 Tony performance, you'll see the full uh, African-American cast of Hello, Dolly! with uh, Pearl Bailey doing So Long, Dearie, and I dare you to watch it and not get the chills, because it's... it's And, and it's her Dolly on, re- on recording is just... They, yeah, they made their own recording for that whole, that whole cast, that whole show, and it's wonderful. It's, it's one of the best Hello, Dolly! recordings, period. It really is. It, it, yeah, sorry, Carol. It yeah. really is... Yeah, because it's everything you want in that character, Pearl, and and Pearl never stops being Pearl, mm-hmm. but you can hear her as Dolly Gallagher Levi. Well, like, and she's so con- but once again, I feel like these huge personalities can pull off Dolly as long as they're connected to something. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it is Pearl Bailey, she understands life and she's a deep soul and I mean she's a soul singer for crying out loud so it's going to work you know it's just it it will it's going to work oh okay Broadway here we go Ginger Rogers Mm -hmm. Martha Ray okay Betty Grable oh Oh, B.B. Osterwald did do it um Phyllis Diller and Merman so Ethel Merman finally came back around. Yes, I, that was. Do you know the sort of apocryphal story that she said she told Mer, she told Merrick that now that previews were out of the way, she would take over the role. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> now that you got your babies out of the way, I'll take over the role. You know, like... I love Ethel. And that the whole... Um, the whole... Are we going to go there right now? What? That she did two numbers that were originally written yes. for her that Jerry... That they put back in the show for her. Uh, Clea Blackhurst says it beautifully in her act, but... No one but Merman, who was such a huge Broadway star at that point, no one but Merman would have introduced two new songs in a show that had been running for seven years. Isn't one was one of them the Welcome to the World or uh, World Take Me Back? World Take Me Back. World right. Take Me Back and uh, Love Look in My Window. Yes, but uh, and and Jerry uh, has said before that he explained that this uh, was replacing. Uh, before the parade passes by and she goes that's okay I'll sing them both exactly. so she did World Take Me Back into Before the Parade Passes By <laughs> and you just think again like the star power of that like even Lapone, who sort of is the closest thing we have to that mm-hmm. albeit a better actress and not so one note but you you can't imagine somebody today being that big because uh, she was a Broadway star mm-hmm. she did the Wasn't Call Me a- Madam film she did um the film with Marilyn, there's no business like show business, but she wasn't a, no. a star anywhere except on Broadway. And that's, again, those personalities. There, There's a clip of her. Is uh, Which show is she on? Oh, my heavens. Okay. This Please, is. Let me explain to you all what just happened. So, I pulled out of my Mary Poppins bag a <laughs> Tiffany lamp, a ficus, and... And Ethel Merman sings the songs from Hello, Dolly. Is this a... Uh, what is it this called? This is an LP. The, the NLP. Hold, hold the bottom because oh, it's it's all broken. Oh. She did it on her on her label called Bar Mike for her Bar Mike Records. I mean, theoretically, it's no Mike, but it was named for her grandchildren, Barbara and Michael. And uh, she. <laughs> so side one is Love Look in My Window. Yeah. Side two will take me back. It's just a forty-five, but it's both it's both songs. Uh. You can also hear them on a. Uh, it streams. There's an album called Mermania. And it streams on Amazon, and I believe you can get it on Apple too, and you can hear both numbers. They're they're quintessentially Jerry Herman. They're just optimism and beautiful, and they're fantastic songs. I want to go ahead and read the, this quote from the New York Times that's on back of on of the cover here. It says, "There's a new hit in town." Truly, Ethel Merman is one of the great ladies of the musical stage. She received three standing ovations. Applause, cheers, whistles weren't enough. It was like being in Shea Stadium the day the Mets clinched the pennant. And musical theater fans were like, what's a pennant? Oh, is that that thing from Damn Yankees? (laughs) Damn Yankees, thank you. The year the Yankees lost the pennant. Come on. That's that title song. about Going back to construction of the show, you have this absolute frenzy of the waiter's gallop. For those of you not in the Hello, Dolly! know, uh, there is a number with all of the waiters in Harmonia Gardens, and they are... It's very athletic, very acrobatic. There are flaming kebab sword fights, and there are uh, chickens being tossed and plated, and it's just this craziness. Acrobatics. Acrobatics. And the beauty, and again, the beauty of the construction is that this this craziness happens for three to four minutes. Uh, Also preserved, thank God, Bruce Kimmel on the 94 recording, preserved the entire Waiter's Gallop, which hadn't been on record before. And then she appears she's about to come in and everything stops and it's a dead stop so the audience has been worked up into this frenzy there is a dead stop and then the iconic trumpet blast of Dolly's arrival because this woman 
this female, this musical theater role gets not one star entrance in this show, but she gets two star entrances in this show. Right. And it is thrilling from community theater to Broadway. It is thrilling. Absolutely. I sat there with my arms mostly crossed for this revival, this past revival with Bette Midler. But let me tell you, when she came down those stairs, it was musical theater heaven for five minutes. And, like, uh, you just couldn't help but leap up onto your feet because it was perfection. All the other flaws that I felt about the show were completely erased for that moment of musical theater brilliance. And it has everything to do with what Gower and Jerry Herman and Michael Stewart created in that moment. It's just it's perfect. Well, you know, there's an there's kind of a trope in musical theater that act two is always the problem child. You know, that you make act one perfect and then act two just kind of falls apart. Hello, Dolly is one of the few times where I think act two is better than act mm-hmm. one. Just because we... It, it, it's almost like classic sitcom where we've spent all of the evening up until this point, getting to know these characters so well, and then you put them into a completely different setting that we haven't seen before, which is the Harmony Gardens restaurant, and throw in a little bit of chaos, and then you just watch what happens. Because it's the payoff for the farce. Every farce sets Absolutely. itself up, and then... And while Act 1 is incredibly entertaining and has more songs, then Act 2, you just get to just sit back and let it all wash over you. And there's no greater example of that than Dolly's entrance with the feathers in her hair coming down the staircase. And it's one of those moments of iconic musical theater where no matter what production you see, Mm -hmm. that better happen. Mm -hmm. And it's not about copying other people's work. It's just you have to pay respect. Okay, favorite songs in the show. I mean, title we, number. Title number. There's which, no better title number. Those those horns. Like, come on. Well, we talked about uh, that the original title of the show was Dolly, Colin, Colin. a damned exasperating woman. And it was David Merrick's decision to change this, the title of the show to Hello, Dolly after Louis Armstrong, Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. recorded the song, made it a huge Smash. And that helped with the success of the show, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. So then that's the name of the that's the name of the show. It's gotta be. And apparently rightfully so, because it's one of your favorite numbers. Do you know what's one of mine? What? Dancing. Oh yeah. Again, so, get me. So in Act One, uh Dolly teaches Cornelius Hackle, the you know, the head clerk and his you know, friend Barnaby how to dance so that they can dance with Irene Malloy and Minnie Fay. And as far as I'm concerned, there's no greater moment in musical theater than when people get taught how to dance in a number. <laughs> and I feel like dancing is probably the best of all of those, including Shall We Dance, because what is Shall We Dance without the dress? Mm-hmm. The The song Dancing starts in Hello, Dolly, and I've heard it said that a waltz is the, is the time signature closest to our own heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to my heartbeat... That's what dancing sounds like. Because the minute that it starts, the da 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 Well, it, and then that it, orchestration heart, takes over during the dance break. The ba-da, ba-da, ba-da-da da at the end. And it's yeah. just, yeah. No, it, it's really, like, my heart swells. Going back to the revival for a second, I was horrified when they announced the director because I knew exactly what would happen. But I do believe that Dolly, I think Jeffrey's heard me use this term before, um, Dolly is a metronome show. Dolly is a show that you have to put a metronome on the 
front edge of, edge of the stage and go, okay, you have to keep this pace. You mm-hmm. have to, have to, have to keep this pace. There's no air between the lines. It's like an old Preston Sturgis film where you're just jumping on each other's cues. Uh, and that is something Jerry Zaks does very, 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 very well. So the timing was perfect. Jerry Zaks does not do heart very well. So there was timing at the expense of heart. And while it's not on the surface, Dolly is all about heart. And if you can't nail that, yeah. I'm shrugging. <laughs> the shoulders are coming up to the ears. I mean, I spent more money than I've ever spent on Broadway. Well, until I saw Jake Gyllenhaal do Sunday in the Park with George, but we won't talk about that. That'll be also it. brilliant. But um, I spent more money than I've ever spent in my entire life to see Bette Midler do Dolly. That was my the whole point in going Knowing back. full well that you might not... Knowing full well that with Jerry's axe it was like, oh, mm-hmm. but nobody better. And that's also a reason I think we don't see the show as often as we should. It is a star vehicle. All right. So I'm going to read a, f- <laughs> Love you. a few things. Do a traumatic reading, I'm please. Once again, I do not have a good Carol voice. But this book that she wrote, which, first of all, there's no way that there was an editor. Like, because she repeats herself constantly. Yeah. It is just a stream of but consciousness. I keep using the word heaven, but it's heaven. It like, is. It's heaven. It is. It is so fascinating to get into her brain, but you have to, like, read it in increments. I just wanted to read a few things because when we're talking about what a unicorn Carol Channing is, the back of the book, the quote that I can only assume she chose for the back of the book is, I have been prostituting myself all my life. I've been making love to an audience since the fourth grade. It's kind of interesting to me that what I do on stage is legal, whereas what's done in bed is not. Carol Channing, everyone. (laughs) And now say that again with the voice in your head. I've been prostituting myself all my life. Yours is like the love child of Carol Channing and Charles Nelson Riley. Okay, look. Hey, I'll take it. Maybe the, there was a like secret tryst. They're both they in was, the Hello Dolly universe. I know. The, the Hello Dolly universe. I, I sort we, of want, can we do that? Can we have like Unicorn Planet, you know, like totally. A gay boy wished for a planet full of Hello Dolly. <laughs> Carol Channing Planet. I also think what's really fascinating about Carol is that she doesn't have really a bad word to say about anybody. Streisand included, mm-hmm. who stole her baby. You know? Do you know the story years ago about whether it was a Tony party or an Oscar party or some huge party that they were walking into that there was a band playing as each star would walk in mm-hmm. and there was a concern about what was going to happen and the band played Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend and Don't Rain on My Parade for Streisand because they were both there and, and it was like during the time that Hello Dolly was big but so they were like just big, stay away like, from Dolly like the room sort of was like oh what's going to happen and they that's, they stayed away from Dolly completely that's fascinating mm-hmm. from what I understand there was a, uh, if she has an enemy in the world it's this one like Hollywood agent who really heavily pitched Streisand for the film Carol was, I think, just a little too weird for Hollywood. But the thing is, like... And Streisand was the biggest star in the world. Because Funny Girl and Hello, Dolly came out the same year on mm-hmm. Broadway. And they became friends because they were both the toast of the town. And then Streisand got the film, and then that friendship mm-hmm. very much stopped. Uh, but she still didn't really ever trash her publicly. But I, she was hurt. Yeah. She was absolutely hurt. Um, she never says anything bad about... 
David Merrick, which is insane. She never says anything bad about Gower. Well, but you also have to think about, like, Jerry Herman is such a premier optimist, and he considered Carol one of his best friends. And Mm -hmm. you go, that optimism has to be in her too to a point yeah you know. Did you, have you seen the her her documentary, documentary? Mm-hmm, of course so sweet yeah they have that great story in the documentary about how she took everyone to go see Interview with a Vampire <laughs> and like it finished and she stood up and said like well that wasn't what I expected <laughs> can you imagine watching Interview with a Vampire with, with Carol, Carol Channing uh, amazing Let's do Tony Awards, shall we? Yes, please. So Hello, Dolly won pretty much every Tony Award in 1964 mm-hmm. and continued to hold the title for most Tony Award wins mm-hmm. up, until up until the producers, the producers right? Mm-hmm. So nominated for Best Musical in 1964, you had Hello, Dolly, which won? Funny Girl, starring Babs. You got She Loves Me, written by Bach and Harnick. And then High Spirits was the fourth. The musical version of Blythe Spirit by Noel Coward. So then to be clear, the actresses up for Best Actress in a Musical were Carol Channing, Beatrice Lilly, Barbara Streisand, and then we're not even including Inga Swenson because 110 in the Shade wasn't nominated for Best Musical. Which, I mean, Inga Swenson and 110 in the Shade, come on. Like, that's an insane year of musical theater. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Well, that's, that's the... That's sort of the height of the golden age. Mm-hmm. Uh, composer, lyricist at that time, uh, Jerry Herman, Hello Dolly, Hugh Martin, Timothy Gray for High Spirits, Harvey Schmidt, Tom Jones, Hunter Ten the Shade, Julie Stein, Bob Merrill, Funny Girl. That means that Bach and Harnick didn't get nominated for She Loves Me. What? I feel like She Loves Me is the better score than High Spirits. Mm-hmm. Right? But at the time, She Loves Me was a little jewel box show, and High Spirits was a big Noel Coward yeah. Peace. That's yeah. true. And then I guess the other thing of interest is that this was also the season of a show that we've already discussed on this episode, Anyone Can Whistle. Oh, I love that Isn't show. Isn't that crazy? Which was only nominated for choreography. And nine performances, yes. Am I right mm-hmm. about that? Nine performances. One other thing that I want to touch on is the international tour of Hello, Dolly!, which was led by Mary Mary Martin. Martin, which the recording is available on Amazon. And she sounds phenomenal. Mm-hmm. What I loved about the Mary Martin thing, and there's a whole, uh, if you go on YouTube, you can, you can see it. She did this international tour to Japan, Vietnam, China, I think. And uh, there's a performance of her doing it for the troops in Vietnam. And they are losing their minds. And it really touched me in, like, a profound way to think of, like, these military types reacting to musical theater in such a, a beautiful way and to have someone as nurturing as Mary Martin on stage, as warm and nurturing, saying hello, fellas, you know, and making them feel at home in the way that the waiters have made her feel at home in the story. There, it's, it's really, really touching. <clears throat> And it's a piece of media that reminds me how beautifully American musical theater can be and unifying and the power of laughter, but also of heart. And, and 
the troops weren't only from the U.S. They were also, I believe, from the Republic of Vietnam and Australia and New Zealand, who had all kind of been at this base. And to see them all come together under one roof for one evening and that it's Hello, Dolly, just made my heart really, really happy. Well, I think you've just spoken to the lasting legacy of the piece. It's about joy and heart and love and the human condition. And that's why it's been around for as long as it's been around. And that's why it can be revived. That's great. Because it, I think sometimes it's, it's, it gets harder and harder for us in media to choose joy. And I really respect people who are willing to be optimistic. Well, that's sort of your life philosophy, isn't it? Jeffrey Scott Parsons, like, choose joy. You can... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Jerry Herman, for bringing us a lot of optimism, hope, love, and laughter. And a lot of dollies. And a lot of dollies, man. Keep them coming. I invite everybody to listen, like, subscribe to a musical theater podcast if you have any suggestions as to what shows we should cover. You can always email us at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at amusicalpodcast. We want to hear from you. Uh, This is your community to listen to a bunch of nerds talk about these wonderful shows. Thank you, Michael Betts, for coming over and chatting with me. I adore you. Thank you so much for having me, Jeffrey Scott Parsons. Of course. And uh, everybody, have a great day. So long, dearie. Ha! Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.